that was, that's always so great to see life in here. And uh, yeah, we have every, every kind of week this month, not kind of week, every week this month, we have, it's been a day. Just be ready. I don't know. I don't know ready for what, but ready for something. Um, every week in this series, we've had someone just come up and tell their Westwood story. And uh, I thought it would be great for me to have an opportunity to tell my Westwood story. And so um, that's what I'm going to jump into. My name is Rick. And oh, thanks. I feel like I'm in the AA a little bit. And this is my Westwood story. Um, so my wife and I, Sean and I, did student ministry for at three different churches for about 15 years or so. Um, a long time ago, and um, and we had casual relational ministry, and we saw tons of life change. Uh, really, we believe at the core of who we are that that ministry kind of boils down to relationships and God's word put together. Kind of in, in, just put those two things in a cup, mix them together, and that's what you have ministry. And so we just saw lots of life change, and and uh, back then. Um, there wasn't churches for kind of everyone like that. Our students would say yes to Jesus and they'd bring their friends or they'd bring their parents to church. Their parents wouldn't have the same experience. So that started kind of going in the back of our heads a little bit. Now it's, it's uh, late 90s, 97, 98 or so. And we began to think uh, that maybe God was leading us to, to start a church now. Um, late 98 and, and the beginning of of. 1999, there's lots of stuff happening in the world. Kosovo stuff was happening, and at that point, uh, these just massive waves of refugees all across Europe, and I just remember being glued to the TV and going, what am I doing about that? And uh, Columbine happened then, and I remember being glued to the TV. I'm like, what am I doing about that? And, I, and man, I'm a believer in student ministry. I believe that the earlier we can uh, be engaged in transformational ministry, the longer these lives can, can live transformed, the bigger impact they can have. And so I don't want to minimize that at all, but I just began to pray, and, and my wife and I began to pray together. Is this, the, is this all we can do? What, what can we do with the finiteness of our, of our heartbeats? You know, I, my breath is finite, and my heartbeats are finite. And so the question began, began hey, with... With my life, what is the best life-changing activity I can be a part of that will have the longest-term ramifications for transformation in this world? And we became convinced in early 1999 that it was to start a church. We were in Phoenix at the time. So we called up our best friends, Lee and Lori Lloyd and Darren and Claire Ritchie, and, and uh, they ended up flying down and we just prayed together and said, uh, is this really what God's calling us to do together? We ended up painting my house and I gave my two weeks notice. I'll never forget. I'm just like, I had four kids and um, quit my paying job because it felt like that's what God wanted me to do. And uh, so we drove up here and uh, it was May 28th, 1999, that six adults Rick and Shauna Schmitz, Lee and Lori Lloyd, and Darren and Claire Ritchie met in the living room and with a kind of a gaggle of kids in the basement um, and just said, what does the Bible say church is supposed to be? Let's just do that. Um, that's, when this, that's when this place started. And, um, and it's been crazy since then. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done and the greatest thing I've ever been a part of. Um, we moved, we quickly outgrew that living room and moved to a little borrowed space um, and then we started paying rent for that space, and um, 
And I remember walking home, getting home from church a couple of weeks in a row and thinking, right as I walked in the door, man, the, the crowd's pretty good. I hope the offering was good. Like the second week, that just crushed me. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This church cannot be about that. So I remember going in uh, to my room, and I'm just praying, I'm like, God, whatever it takes for this to not be about money, I'll do whatever. So Shauna's phone rings. She kind of knocks on the door, and she's like, hey, this is my friend. They need a charter school teacher, fourth grade teacher for a charter school up in Arvada. And she was interested, she wondered if I would be interested. And I said no, but for some reason I thought you might be. So that was a Sunday. That Friday I was giving a spelling test at Woodrow Wilson Elementary School in Arvada. I taught fourth grade for a couple years in the middle of this, um, well, right, I guess, at the beginning of this process because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't about money, and uh, we just continue to ask, what does the Bible say church is supposed to be? Let's do that. So we moved from that little space at I-70 and Kipling to a Sunday-only space at First and Garrison, then a building that we thought we had for three years, ended up having for one year at Alameda and Cody, and then now we've been here for about eight years or so, and, um, and it feels so good to be rooted in a community. And I wrote down, there's lots of other things that happen in the middle of there. I just don't have, you know, six hours to share. Um, I have a couple of hours, though, so hold on. <laughs> Here's some th- things I just wrote down that, that we believe then we believe now. That the church is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. As we started saying, what does the Bible say church is supposed to be? Over and over and over. Bible says church is supposed to be us, the hands and feet of Jesus. The church is to be the hope of the world because Jesus is the hope of the world. We believe then and we believe now that real ministry is simply God's word and relationships. We believe then and believe now that the church exists to be a blessing to our neighborhood and our world. And we believe then and we believe now that the church is not a building, it's us. And that, that none, of, none of that stuff, none of this stuff that we dream or that we hope will happen, will happen with us corporately unless it happens with us individually. Does that make sense? In, unless, we're not gonna live out the vision and values of this, of this organization unless as people that are part of this body, we're like, oh yeah, that's what I want my life to be about as well. I'm not, uh, I'm not a big journal reading person and... Um, a little uncomfortable, but I'll just read, I just want to read a little thing from April of 99 that I think really continues to lay the foundation for what we want to be around about today. It just says, when I think about starting a church, my heart races to risk all for the kingdom. To think about a kingdom venture with the greatest friends of my life really is unthinkable. To cultivate a greenhouse of community where Acts, and this is the as Bible passage actually we're gonna read a little bit later, Acts 2, 42 through 47 was and is lived out really is awesome to consider. A church on mission, what a novel thought. Many issues of, with fear and uncertainty. And there's this great quote, I just said, history belongs to those who pray, to those who believe and pray the future into being. And then just wrote this prayer, Father, I want you to create a church, a kingdom-building church, a church that does significant damage to the work of the enemy, 
a church where you are honored, where community, true community exists among the leaders, where young leaders are drawn and nurtured and developed, where people feel ownership and empowered, where decisions are based on values, not on survival, comfort, ease, or convenience. A place where even those who consider themselves outsiders are honored, loved, and cared for. A place that they can belong. A place where everyone can come together and change the world, putting hands in the middle to fulfill this mission that Jesus gave us as a church. And that continues to be my prayer. And honestly, it's really hard to keep focused on that. It is. There's so many things that distract us from being that. And that's why this week or this, this year and every year we try and do these series on the church because we want to be really clear about what we think the church is about. And so we've been in this four-week series talking about the church, give, giving these pictures of the church. And we, we believe the church is a hydrant, a, a place where where love and grace flow out because we believe Jesus is a hydrant of love and grace. And we believe the church is an inn, a place of safety and security, a place where Jesus uh, can cultivate healing and hope. And then last week we talked about uh, that we believe the church is an automated grace machine, that, that we, are, we are these mobile receivers of grace and givers of grace. And man, I don't know about you, but last week, the last couple of weeks of my life, having that picture in my mind as I walk into grocery stores, as, as I drive my car, as I sit down in restaurants, that, that I am here. And I don't know specifics, but I do know that I'm here to, to receive God's grace and to dispense God's grace in this moment. My sign came in, by the way. I don't know if you guys noticed. I, I mentioned last week that I ordered this grace on tap sign from China, and I had no idea that it was ever going to come. Um, but it came. So um, apparently the key is getting stuff that you're waiting for from Amazon or from UPS is just mentioning it. So I'm going to mention Sherry's package that she ordered. She, mentioned, she wanted me to make sure to mention that. So maybe she'll get her package this week as well. And today we're going to talk about Lighthouse. We're going to talk this, about this idea of Lighthouse. We, we are entering a time, a history, uh, this unique time in our history. Uh, these really, really great opportunities and these really unique challenges um, that, that really we've never felt before. When I think about the church as lighthouse, I'm, I'm reminded of a church planting conference I went to early on, and they, they told this old story about this town, this small town, kind of on the, on the east coast somewhere along this rocky, dangerous shore, and uh, where boat after boat after boat and ship after ship would wreck on these rocks, and hundreds of people a year would lose their lives in the surf. And so the people in this town got together and they said, we should start a life-saving station. We should start an organization that actually like looks out at the coast that sets up like watches. And, um, and as, as ships are in trouble, we can actually maybe save people from drowning. And so they did it. They, they organized this life-saving station and they saved hundreds and hundreds of lives a year and then something interesting happened. The people at the life-saving station began to say, we, we need more comfortable chairs. And maybe the windows could be a little more weatherproof. And, and the parking really isn't very convenient. So they began to focus on some of those things. And what was a life-saving station then became a country club. 
And again, hundreds of people begin to die year after year on the surf. And so a few people in the town said, you know what we should do? We should, we should start a life-saving station that actually people like can come to the beach and hang out and look out and see these people and go out and rescue them from drowning, pull them back. And so they did that. In the years that that existed, hundreds of people were saved from, from the surf and lives were changed. And a couple years later, they began to say, you know what we need? We need maybe a... a a nicer roof and, and maybe we need a, a little bit better this and a little bit better that and the story ended that today that coast is dotted with country clubs and not one life-saving station and hundreds and hundreds of people die every year. And so as a scrappy like little, I don't know how, even how old I was a long time ago person, um, I'm like, oh man, I want to start a little scrappy insurgent little church that's this life-saving station. And I think we did that. I think we're doing that. And now as I think about it, maybe, maybe another step would have been to say, hey, we should maybe build a lighthouse on this shore. And maybe, maybe we should have our people put lights in their windows so that people getting close to the rocks would see there's danger and be able to find their way. That's what we're gonna talk about. And uh, these challenges that we're facing over the next six months uh, are, are big and exciting and encouraging and they're gonna require us to raise a little bit of money. Everybody just needs to take a deep breath and relax, okay? Everybody take a deep breath. When, I gotta tell you, when I think about church fundraising kind of things, it makes me throw up on my mouth a little bit. Not a little bit, a lot. So I've been involved in a few and, and they're not great. So I was gonna actually put a picture of bulldog puppies up here to kind of make us relax a little bit, but I found this picture instead. I thought that helped us relax a little bit. Owen holding, my grandson Owen holding our granddaughter Juniper. That's not great. I could just look, I should just leave that up the rest of the time um, so that we can be, Here's this, this great deal. Um, I'm more excited about what God's calling us to in our future than, than I've ever been before. And, um, and he, here's the interesting thing about the, the fundraising campaigns I've been a part of in my church past. Here's what happens typically, what has happened in my experience, I'll just say that. Is that the vision of the church kind of gets pulled out of the middle and then this vision of completing this, this fundraising thing, you can click that next slide um, goes, not that it's not great to see Owen, uh, the, the goal of raising money kind of fills that spot. Does that make sense? And, and so here's what happens. When that happens, then the, the fundraiser becomes the villain. Oh, we can't do that. We can't actually reach people. We can't actually do any ministry because we're doing this thing. It becomes the villain for everything and the savior for everything. Oh, but once we do this, once we raise this, once we do this, then all of the mysteries of life will be solved, including who killed JFK. All that stuff will just, we'll just magically, everything will be better. And the reality is it's not. And so as we, as we came up, up, upon this kind of this interesting challenge, this incredible opportunity, one of the things we just have to be crystal clear about is that, that our goal doesn't change. Our goal is to transform our city with the love of Jesus one friend at a time, period. That's what, that's what we are about. That's what we're gonna be about. That's what we have been about. 
And so we're gonna, we're gonna enter into this, this little campaign a little differently. We're gonna, this, this, this next six month season is gonna be punctuated with some of these ideas that, that are like the 7700 lighthouse idea. 7700, because that's the address here. I'm not sure if you know that, 7700 Woodard. And then lighthouse, because that's what we wanna be and that's what we wanna build. We wanna be lighthouses of hope and we wanna build lighthouses of hope. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna press into things that, that will help us reach our goal. Um, these, these, this set of objectives that will help us reach our goal. And you're gonna, you're gonna notice a theme when we start talking about numbers. So our first couple of objectives that we're gonna really leverage a lot of our time over the next six months. And, and here's, here's part of this timing kind of coming out of COVID and this new reality, it really has felt like we're starting again. Like, we're, we're that's our, has been our mindset. You know, if we, if we just got dropped here, instead of six people, it's, instead we have like 200 adults that are, that are gonna put their hands in the middle. What does it look like for us to start now and, and make a big impact in this city? And so we're gonna, we're gonna press into some objectives uh, we have one goal and we have lots of objectives that will help us meet that goal. So the first couple of objectives that we're, gonna, that we're really gonna press into in the next six months is we wanna, we wanna do everything we can to start seven new MCs and have 77 new MC attenders. Now, MCs are our, our version of small groups and I don't, sometimes I avoid those lang that language because some of you that have been involved in small groups maybe go, oh, I know what that is. It was awful when I went to a small group. So we can try and use language that asked, that kind of begs the question like, what is that? So that we can actually answer the question in a way that, that fits our context, that makes sense. MCs are missional communities. It's, it's little platoons of people doing life together. That are, that are pressing into to what God has for them together, that are pressing into each other, serving together, that are, that are helping and praying for people in their lives that don't know Jesus together, um, doing life together. And, and I'd mentioned that, that passage of scripture, uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47, um, and, and it, it's, it's, and Chris mentioned Pentecost. Pentecost is the day uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, descends on uh, believers and, and we filled with this Holy Spirit, really the power and presence of Jesus becomes portable in each of us. And the result of that was this community of believers. And Acts chapter two paints this picture of this community of believers that, that is unbelievable. It just says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking the bread and prayer and everyone's filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common. Next, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. And as we started looking at that passage, we just began to say, God, if you could do it then, can you do it now? If you could do that then, can you do it now? And we think the answer is yes. And, and we think the, the, Mac, the best life-changing environment is, is in a small group of people doing this together. Breaking breads in homes, pursuing Jesus together, serving each other, being concerned about the spiritual condition of, of our friends. And we think that as we press into to some of these objectives, we're gonna come up with some obstacles like, oh, here's what makes that difficult. Now we can overcome that obstacle. 
Each of these objectives, and, and we'll talk about, we have a meeting afterwards, after this service and after second service. I uh, just encourage you to stay for about a half an hour after, and we'll get into a little bit more. We have a, a team leader for each of these objectives and, and developing teams around these objectives to identify obstacles and figure out what are some creative ways that we're going to press in to overcome some of those obstacles to, to make these things happen. So people feel connected, not just connected to each other, but connected to God. So seven new MCs, 77 new MC attenders. You're starting to catch a little theme here. Here's this next one. It's going to be a, a key. 770 people praying for Westwoods every month. 770 people, 770 people praying for Westwoods every month. Uh, we believe that, um, that this goal of transforming our city with the love of Jesus one friend at a time is impossible to do because it, on our own. We can't, we can't have a great enough service. We can't have a, a great enough community service arm. We can't do those things. Without the power of God at work in our lives and through our lives, we'll never do that. And so we're gonna, we're gonna start, uh, we have a team that's, that will be working on what does it look like to, to um, find some people that will commit to praying for Westwoods every single month, so much so we have 770 people praying for Westwoods every month. Um, there's this great passage of scripture in James that just says this, you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We use that... Um, years, maybe five or six years ago now, um, called Big Ask, and we just said simply this, we have a big ask God, got to say that really carefully, who invites us to pray big ask <laughs> prayers, very carefully. You know, I, I think when James says, hey, you don't have because you don't ask, I think they asked for stuff. I think it was just small stuff. And I, I want to encourage us and challenge us and lead us into a season where we just begin to ask God to answer prayers that are worthy of him. That are worthy of, of his power. That, that we can't just accomplish by trying real hard. And we, we believe that prayer is, is a key element to seeing our city transform with the love of Jesus. And so we're gonna focus in the next six months part of our time on this objective of having, finding 770 people pray for Westwoods every month and we're gonna work on what it looks like to keep them informed about how to pray, to keep them in the loop about what's going on so they can thank God as well. So uh, we have a team that we're putting together around that. And, and really all of these objectives, you can just begin even right now to start thinking, man, what does it look like for me to be a part of the fulfillment of that? So the MC objective, what does it look like for me to, to jump into an MC or to start an MC or to, to invite someone to an MC? What does it look like for me even now to begin to ask, start asking some people in my life, hey, we're starting this thing, I'll have some more details later, uh, but will we, just, will we just commit to praying for me and for my church for the, just once a month, maybe, one, maybe once a month on your birthday. Uh, it'll be a good reminder for you to pray for us and, and I'll just keep informed about what's going on. 7,700 is where we're at. 7,700 people attending weekend services the last half of 2022. So that's July through December. Um, we think that gathering is important. 
We think being here is important. It's not the only thing that we do, but it's a great thing that we do. And, um, and we're coming out of a time where people are realizing, oh, I don't have to go to church. Or I, maybe my, ha- my church habit has been broken. And you know what? Part of me is like, good. I, I don't want people to come because they think they have to. I don't want people to come because, because some habit, because Sunday mornings are, are for them and they don't know what to do with themselves if they don't come here. I want them to come because when they come, they feel the power and presence of Jesus. Because when they come, they feel built up and encouraged. There's this great passage in Hebrews that kind of helps us um, as we think about what, what we want the environment to be here on Sundays. And it just says this, let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That, man, let's consider, let's take some time to think about how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. When I, when I was a kid, some of you might've had one of these. I had this little matchbox car wash thing. Did anybody have one of these things? It was like battery powered and uh, you pushed a button and these little brushes started and you put a car in there and it hit those brushes and spun it out through this whole track and then kind of slowly hit that thing and then hit those brushes again and did that. I could just watch that for hours watching my cars go through slow down, right? When I think about the church, that my, my hope is that the church is that little car wash. Not that gathers everybody and holds everybody together, but as, as we come, that, that we would be encouraged and spit out into this world with love and grace and energy and, and that we would do the work of Jesus and then, then we could come in, kind of coast in and be able to catch some energy and some encouragement as we go. 7,700 people attending weekend services and then uh, 77,000 people, or 77,000 people, 77,000 verses of scripture read. We're gonna do a little Bible reading campaign uh, starting in August and we're, where we're gonna read some verses together. Um, each, each week we'll just have some more verses together that will be encouraging for us and that we'll be encouraging to talk about with, e- with each other. Maybe the most pa- famous passage on scripture is this verse in 2 Timothy. It says, uh, all scripture is God-breathed and, and useful or profitable or, or um, yeah, I guess those two, useful and profitable, like um, for these things. Reading scripture is, is not like, this thing that we should do in this obligatory manner, Paul is saying here, it's really important. And it's really profitable. It's really useful for a couple of things, for teaching. You know, as, as we engage in scripture, we learn about who God is. We learn about who we are. Correction is, is like that, that point as, as our life is going the wrong direction or a, a direction towards pain and disappointment, a place that's leading away from life, the Bible points out, hey, 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 you're going the wrong way. But here, and here's why I love, I love scripture, because it's not just that. I think sometimes we feel like God's just yelling, going, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. But you know what scripture says? It, scripture's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. Right, like, hey, hey, you're going the wrong way, and let me, let me just help you steer your life back towards life. And then training in righteousness like gives us 
this view of what does it look like in right relationship with God. So 7,700 verses read in this, in this campaign. And then this one, 770, $770,000 raised to ensure we have an impact in this corner of Lakewood for a long time. Um, you know when you start looking at a word and just, well, first of all, just relax. Do I need to show Owen's picture back up here again? It's, we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be okay. Um, when you start looking at a word and it starts looking weird to you, that word insure really looks weird to me. But I've been assured that it's insure, not insure. So that is, I think, correct. I hope. Um, thank you. Thanks for that encouragement. It just does not look right. Um, and here's here's the deal. Uh, we don't own this building. We're in this in this long eight-year process to buy this building. When we first moved in eight years ago, we couldn't be close to affording this building. And so we have this great landlord that said, hey, let's do this. Let's just be on this seven or eight-year plan where, where we'll start. I think, they, I think our rent started at like seven grand a month or something. And they just ramp up $500 uh, every six months until it reaches a point where uh, you can financially buy the building and actually will behoove you to do that. And we're at that, we're at that point right now. Um, and and uh, here's this great news though. We don't, we don't need all of that. Um, we need less than a third of that to, to go ahead and close on the building. So uh, we're just gonna press into to raising some money and then we're gonna, when we get what we need to close on the building, we'll do that. And then we have some other renovations. We're gonna open up this welcome area. It's kind of our next little step of money so that we can be better... Uh, equipped to serve our community to do weddings and funerals without disruption of our food distribution stuff that happens downstairs. Can do that. And then this last portion of it will be to move the playground from the middle of the parking lot, which is a really great place for a playground, right? Um, to move it by the uh, building. And you get, do you guys notice that our parking lot needs some work? Um, and uh, so once we do that, then we're, we can redo our parking lot. So all of those things are kind of incorporated in that. And it gives us this great opportunity to step into generosity. And we're going to actually open our Bibles together. See, if you have your Bible, you open up to the book of 2 Timothy. It's almost all the way to the back. All the T's in the New Testament are together. And 2 Timothy is right after 1 Timothy. So if you're in 2 Timothy... Come back to First Timothy. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Um, starting in verse 17. And just encourage you to circle this and, and, and maybe spend some time in this. Paul is writing to his um, little apprentice, Timothy, uh, who's leading a church. And um, he says this in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be read that passage. Command those who are rich, and we go, oh, it's not me. I'm not rich. I'll just give you some little cultural context. For Paul, when, when Paul was writing this to Timothy, uh, it was considered rich if you had more food in, in your household than you were gonna consume at your next meal, you were rich. So I would, I would venture to say that, that the majority of us in this room are rich. 
And maybe we should stop trying to get rich and realize how to be rich. This is what Paul is saying. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. We've talked about this passage before. Paul's just painting a picture of, of we, we build these piles of wealth and then we try and lean into those for our security and our identity. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, it moves. It's not big enough. And so naturally we say, oh, you know what I need? I need a bigger pile. And so we work and work and work to create a bigger pile and then we, we lean into it for our identity and our security and guess what happens? It moves and Paul's saying, hey, command them not to be arrogant or put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of life that is truly life. There's so, there's so much in that passage, but I, and I just encourage you, to, like I said, to read it and to just uh, ask the Lord to, to open it up to you. But I would just say this, man, what it means to be generous is, is to press into life that is truly life. Because it, it's letting go of this, of this sense of, of, of control, of, of pile building, of security and anything else but, but the provision of God in our lives. And so I, I just wanna call us to a time of incredible generosity, not of guilt and, and weirdness and frustration and, and thermometers on the stage, but a time where we just say, God, will you help me to be rich? Well, to, to do these things, um, to lay up a foundation, not just for this, this life, but the life to come. So when we say 77 or $770,000 to ensure we have an app impact on Lakewood for a long time, here's, here's just a couple of details about that. We're gonna get into more of this in the meeting. This building's worth about $4 million, maybe a little bit, less, a little bit more than $4 million, and we're buying it for $2 million. Pretty great. <laughs> So the day we close, we walk into over $2 million equity. And, and then the day we close, our, our monthly payment goes down by thousands of dollars. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty good financial piece. Pretty good financial reason to say yes to this. But maybe more than that, is when, when Paul says to lay a foundation for a future age, it reminds me of our first meeting here was in December, I think, like December 8th. And when we were doing some work, lots of work around this place, it had been a rental church for about 15 years or so, and it, it was in pretty rough shape, as you can, if you can imagine, even rougher than it kind of is now. Uh, and, and this woman walks in, and uh, she starts looking around. I said, can I help you? And she said, oh, my husband was the very first pastor of this church. He started in 1966 with this little this little chapel building down there, he, he will be so happy to know that there's a church moving in there. And um, so I invited, I said, hey, we, can you guys come? Our first service is coming up. And so they came over and, and this pastor prayed for us and then we got to pray for him and just, just bless him so that we're standing on his shoulders, the work that he did in this community for decades. 
And, and my hope is that that would, that that would be what we get to do for this next generation as well. And there's this famous painting, Starry Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. You guys might have seen it on a coffee mug or a coffee pot or something. Um, there's a really interesting thing about this painting. There's a church that's in the middle of this painting. If you zoom in, there's the church. And you know, there's an interesting thing about the church. The church is the only building in town that doesn't have a light on. All, every other building in town is lit up except the church because that's what Van Gogh thought about the church. He actually wanted to be a priest at one time, one point in his life. Was, was so burned and turned off by the church that that is his view of the church. And I think this part of Lakewood deserves to have a church with lights on. Our goal is to transform our city with the love of Jesus one friend at a time. And all of these objectives will lead us to that. I got this new tattoo. I'm not sure if anybody noticed. It is a lighthouse in a boat. Because I want us to be really clear. When we think about transformation, I, I'm not transformed. I'm, I'm on my way to being transformed, right? Um, you're not transformed. You're on your way to being transformed. And, and it, what, what being a lighthouse doesn't mean, it, it doesn't mean having it all figured out. It doesn't mean be reaching this place where, where you're completely good and, and uh, now you can just be a blessing for the world. It just means, oh, I'm a, I'm a lighthouse, but I'm in a boat. <laughs> I, I'm on my way, but that doesn't mean I can't be a lighthouse. And that's, that's my hope for us as we gather that we would be this lighthouse of hope that we would be these lighthouses in, in boats as we go out in our world. So as we walk into these next six months, will you help us reach these objectives? We, uh, we have some teams that are starting around all those objectives. We think, man, my heart's been drawn to that. I can, I can be a part of that team. And we just press into generosity with your time and your talent and your treasure and just see what in the world God has in mind for us. Let's bow our heads and we can pray together. Whew. Jesus, thank you um, that you have big things for us that isn't, that these things are not things that we can accomplish just by being smart enough or good enough or working harder or working longer. We need you desperately. God, thank you for doing the work of transformation in me. <laughs> That's never probably gonna end until I see you. Thanks that, that you have cobbled together this, this ragtag group of people to put their hands in the middle and say uh, that we're gonna make a difference together for you in this city. That we are gonna do whatever it takes to transform our city, our city, with, with the love of Jesus, one friend at a time. Astound us with your presence and your power as we press into to saying yes to what you're calling us to. Thanks, God. Amen.